There's an old saying that man plans and God laughs. And uh, I think God finds our worship uh, pleasing. Uh, so it's good to be here. We'll be looking at a few uh, scriptures this morning. Um, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Telling the Story. And we started with talking about God as King. This is how the, the Bible starts. The story of the Bible begins with God creating everything, uh, conquering the chaos, building His temple, and in the middle of that temple, installing His image, His icon. But then it doesn't take long for humanity to decide for itself whether they're going to follow God or not. And eventually they come to the point where the people of Israel reject God as their king and instead they choose for themselves a human to be king. And God says, they've rejected me. And he warns them about what's going to happen as a result of having a human as king. Eventually, next week, if you join us next week, we're going to talk about Christ as king. It's the completion of this story. But today we're pausing to talk about our place in this story, where we come into this story. In 2001, a new kind of website began. Wikipedia launched as an online open source encyclopedia. That means it's free to use. Essentially, anyone can add contents of this encyclopedia. Articles can be kept up to date. They can be expanded or edited by anyone. Wikipedia operates with five guiding principles. First, it's an encyclopedia. It's not meant to be a blog or somebody's soapbox. It attempts to be from a neutral point of view. The third thing is that it is free content. Anyone can use, edit, or distribute. The fourth is editors are called upon to treat each other with respect. The fifth is there are no firm, firm rules. It is a very different kind of encyclopedia than the Encyclopedia Britannica the salesman may have come and told you years ago. Very different. It's changed the way um, we approach knowledge. It's changed the way um, we write papers, even though we're not supposed to, high school students, you're not supposed to use Wikipedia as a source, but it's a great place to start. I've started there. I always scroll down to the bottom and see people's sources. By following these guiding principles, anyone can add to the article on Wikipedia. In online academic circles, we have things called wiki articles. They're a collaborative article written by students or professors that people can add to or edit as long as, they, uh, as, long as what they add conforms to an agreed-upon standard. And so multiple students could get in and add their perspective or add their research into this collaborative article. A group of people working together 
to come up with a story. Each person puts their stamp on the collective project. Bible scholar Scott McKnight talks about the Bible being like a big wiki story. Each biblical writer brings their own perspective and assumptions. But what is the greed upon standard or motivation for this Bible story? And this is where the king and his kingdom story is so important to us. Each writer tells their part of this collective story. And they might focus in on one aspect of this king and his kingdom story. They might focus in on God as king. Or they might really focus on the story of man as king. Or they might really focus on the story of Christ as king. If we just take a a simple story, the story of David. You think about David's life and how it might flow into this story. At the beginning, David is is a young boy who trusts God. He's out there with his sheep, and when the, the bears and the lions come to attack, he defends them. When he goes and sees Goliath threatening the people of Israel, he trusts God, and he says, why aren't you putting your trust in God? And we see that David has clearly in focus God as king. But then David himself becomes king. He starts uh, having an issue with lust, which leads to murder. He has all kinds of blood on his hands. And when he puts himself as king, when he trusts in his own power, things go downhill really quickly for King David. Ultimately, we read in the Psalms about David's confession, about wanting to move on. It's as though he's looking forward and he talks about someone coming in the future who will reign on the throne forever and ever. He doesn't know, he can't name that final part of the story, Christ is king, but he looks forward to it. This big story, the part that it all builds towards then is Jesus Christ, the King. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus, God made flesh, is King. Ideally, I would have liked to have finished this story and then talk about where we fit in. But the schedule of uh, baptizing people this morning, of coming together as a body to worship, just fits so well within this. Within the plot of the king and his kingdom story is a redemptive subplot. The fact that Jesus is king saves and redeems. We no longer have to rely on ourselves as king. That's not the end of the story. So here's the subplot that leads to redemption. God created humanity in God's image, his icon. And he placed it in the garden. But the icons became cracked. Humanity chose to define good and evil for itself. It's a choice symbolized in the story of Adam and Eve choosing the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But it's also a choice that we all make. It's a choice that estranges us from God, that separates us from God. 
And then within this story, God sets to work to bring about a change for humanity, to redeem them. God works through the people of Israel or the covenant community in order to bless and redeem all nations. See, the people of Israel were meant to be a blessing to everyone. They weren't supposed to keep this story to themselves. They were meant to bless other people, to be a witness to other nations. But the people chose to reject God as king. They failed to live up to God's standards. They worship other gods. They live in their own way. So God changes the story. He takes on flesh. God becomes human in Jesus. And God becomes the perfected. Jesus becomes the perfected icon. He becomes what God intended Adam and Eve to be at the very beginning, to follow him, to be in perfect relationship with God. Jesus comes and he does that. He takes upon himself the sin of the world. And on the cross, Jesus absorbs the sin into himself. He died for our sin according to Scripture. And then he overcame the consequences of sin. That's death. Jesus redeems and he restores. He rescues us. The true king of the universe stoops down to our level to lift us up, to lift us from the grave. And ultimately, God wants to restore all things. It's called consummation, to create new heavens and new earth, to dwell with humanity in perfect relationship. This is the story. This is the story that saves us, that redeems us, that lifts us from the grave. I said last week, if you were with us, that too often we get stuck in the middle of this story. Too often we get stuck with ourselves as king. First Samuel, God says, man as king isn't all it's cracked up to be. It takes us down a place we don't really want to go. And though there is more to the story, though we could turn the page to see that Christ is king, God never forces us to turn that page. God doesn't force himself Honest. God doesn't force us into a relationship we don't want to be in. But if we're willing, we can turn the page and find that Jesus is the king. Find that we don't have to rely on ourselves anymore. Find that we don't have to live with the mess that we've created anymore. Find that we don't have to live with the consequences of death anymore. We're allowed to turn the page, but God will not force us to turn the page. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. This is a short story of Thomas. And we all know that Thomas is given this uh, derogatory nickname, Doubting Thomas. Jesus has come back to life. He's conquered death and the grave. And he's appeared to most of the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. 
And the rest of them say, Jesus is alive. And Thomas says, I, I don't think so. Dead people stay dead. Thomas doesn't believe. He says, unless I put my hands in those wounds, I won't believe. So starting in verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas is doing what all the rest of us would do. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Because suddenly there is a man standing in the middle of the room who was dead and is now alive. Most of us would be freaking out. So Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. And Thomas answered him. And this is profound. Because Thomas is the first one to make such a bold statement. Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas. And we, and we look down on him for being the doubter. Look at what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. My Lord and my God. Thomas is willing to turn the page. To stop trusting himself and to start trusting in Jesus his Lord and his God, his Messiah and his King. But I love the fact that Jesus then blesses those of us who come after Thomas, who accept our place in this story without seeing Jesus. You folks down here in white this morning, that's you. Jesus blesses you here in John and says, blessed are those who believe and yet still haven't seen. John concludes the chapter. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the Messiah and the King. Our scripture that Luke read for us this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Here, living in light of Jesus the King, we are rescued from the results of man as king. We're called to live into this new story, to live in a new way. Verses 3 and 4, Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By His own glory and goodness. Not anything that we've done. Not anything that we've earned. By Jesus' own glory and goodness. 
Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. Jesus, kingly, divine power, rescues us from the mess that we've made of our lives, rescues us from the mess that we've made of this world, rescues us from the mess that other people have made of this world. And allows us to share in the divine nature. It allows us to participate in the divine story. The story of the king and his kingdom. And then verse 11 says, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. If you live into this story. If you're willing to turn the page if you're willing to give up being king of your own life and allow Jesus to be king, this is what's in store. If you want to receive the redemptive benefits of this king and his kingdom story, if you want to be rescued out of this pit, we can enter into Christ's eternal kingdom. A kingdom that is breaking in already, but is waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to be revealed when the true king is finally revealed and known to all. My question for us this morning is where are you at in this story? Where are you at? Are you stuck with yourself being king? Are you stuck living with the consequences of your actions? Are you stuck in a place that leads to death? Are you willing to turn the page? Are you willing to turn the page and see that Jesus is king? God will not force you to turn that page. Jesus will not force you to turn that page. But I can tell you from my experience that turning the page is such a blessing. My personal story isn't worth telling and repeating to you. It's only because we turn the page in the story that Jesus has made anything of my life. And the people that I've met and the places I've been able to experience, and the relationships I've been able to experience, both with other believers and with Jesus. That story is only worth telling for me because I turn the page. Because I see that Jesus is the King. This morning... We have a number of young people who are choosing to turn the page and live in light of this story. And let me just pause right here. And let me tell you, I have been so impressed and excited about this group and about teaching these uh, membership classes. Because in, in my own experience, a lot of people just kind of take the classes, they go through the motions, and at the end, they, they do the things that they're supposed to do. I sent home uh, the, the vows that they'll be saying today. 
and all of them, all, all, all of their, their parents sent back, we went over these vows with them, and they've still decided they want to follow through with baptism. This is not a decision that they've entered into lightly. This is something that they've put thought into, energy into, that they've really contemplated. And so I respect that so much in all of you this morning. Baptism, then, is a response to God's story and the saving act through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is an act of obedience to the teachings and example of Jesus the King. Baptism is a symbol of cleansing and of new life. It is a symbol of turning the page in this story. Baptism is a public witness. It is the point where we say to the world, I am not king. Jesus, the Christ, is my king. Long live the king. Baptism is an entrance into a new covenant community of faith called the church. Jesus' love and forgiveness and redemption are supposed to be best expressed by the church, by the gathered body of Christ. As we show love, as we allow people to experience redemption, baptism is an entrance into ministry. All of you are called to new ministry this morning. As you learn what your gifts and your abilities are that God has blessed you with, you're now called to use those gifts and those abilities to show Jesus to others. You're also called to use them here in this body to help us be drawn closer to Jesus. That's the ministry that they're entering in today and that those of you who have already followed Jesus in baptism are already a part of. And baptism is a beginning. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of your story. It is a beginning. For you being baptized, this marks the beginning of your journey with Jesus. Or maybe it marks a spot along the way. There may be moments where you are tempted to the earlier parts of the story. There may be times where you say, you know what, turning this page was really, really hard. And I wish I could go back. But I'm telling you, living in this part of the story is the best thing. This is the part of sto the story that leads to life. The part of the story that you're turning from, it doesn't, it doesn't end up going anywhere special. All right? This is the beginning of a new story. You are not alone. You are surrounded by a community of faith, by blood, family, and by family of the water. You are part of a new family, and you are not alone. When you struggle, because you will struggle at some point in life, 
you have a community of people who love you and care for you and want to continue to show you the love of Jesus. This is the new family that you become a part of this morning. I'm going to ask you six to come up.